If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, Duncan. Hey, Mal. Hi. How's it, how's it hanging? How you doing? Uh, I found myself here in a podcast. I don't know how. I don't know how I got. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how I'm here. I'm in a podcast. <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell. I'll tell you why you're here, and I'll tell you, listeners, because we are. So, as people know, we took a small break during the Christmas time, so that way we can get um, some sanity. Christmas time is not only like the heaviest time for a lot of podcasting groups, and also using January to recover is a really big deal. And we did that. But because of that, we also are recording extra episodes as well. So that way we have plenty and plenty of content for all of you. And on this specific occasion, Christina is in Las Vegas. Um, she's actually at a con. I don't remember the name of it, but she's with like every fucking buddy. And that's where she is. And Chelsea did the last topic. So because of that, uh, we're, we're giving her a small break as well. So I decided to rope you into this. Ah, uh, I mean, I am one to get netted. Uh, <laughs> you are, you do like to get netted. That's very, that's very true. You're easily, uh, you know, trapped. In D&D and in real life. And yeah. In, yeah, yeah. Um, I knew that reaching out to you, you'd just be like, oh, fuck yeah. So it wasn't really a hard sell. I, I mean, I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the, the, co- the, the content here at this podcast and, uh, I, I'm an avid listener. Um, and I, I like being a part of it. I will say we get we get a lot of um, feedback about the episodes you've been on, about people loving the content you do and the amount of research you do. So quite honestly, consider yourself an honorary member of the podcast at this point. I mean, that's surprising uh, and flattering, but all right. <laughs> OK, I mean, I do I do want to be part of the uh, the eventual and honestly, let's say it inevitable uh, overnight at some haunted facility somewhere. I absolutely okay, okay. would be bringing soup, soup along with me. We actually, um, this episode hasn't gone up yet, but we just talked about a haunted. Oh no, I think it might be up yet. We talked about a haunted castle that's in Scotland, oh, where yeah. where you can uh, you go, you listen to horror stories for four hours by one of the owners, and the, then the owner is just like, "Go inside of my castle overnight. Go ahead, go get lost." You know, and um, <laughs> God, I'd love to do that. People are just walking by. He's just this old man comes by to the fence, and he's just like, "Go inside my castle. It's pretty fine. Much. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> it's it's fine. Don't don't question it." He's really just lonely and needs people to help him dust. That's really all it is. Well, it, in reality, it's a man and woman who like this is their thing, and it's like literally one of it's it's said to be the most haunted castle in in like uh, I think it's Scotland. I admit I wasn't fully paying attention, but um, you know what? I will. You'll be. On that, you're, you're number four on the list of people okay. that are that are going to be going to a haunted location with us overnight. I would, I would love that. I dig it. 
Um, so for those who might be just turning in, hi, this is Culture Cryptos and Conspiracies, um, the podcast where normally uh, Chelsea and Christina do topics of a uh, spooky nature of cult cryptids or conspiracies. Uh, sometimes it's miscellaneous religion, which is more of my domain. Sometimes it's a cult, which is honestly, in my opinion, more of Duncan's domain, which is one of the great reasons why he's sometimes a guest. And uh, we get spooky. We get weird. Sometimes it's depressing. We try to give warnings about that. But it's about that kind of stuff that you just, you're not going to hear about in the news. The good thing is uh, today I do not have depressing. I have uh, intriguing, to say the least. Um, awesome. I was planning on doing religious miscellaneous because I also enjoy those episodes. Uh, but I found this when I was doing research and uh, I want to talk about this. That's and that's exactly how the ladies pick their topics as well. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're just like fun. This looks fun. And I know of and don't spoil it, but I know of the religious miscellaneous topic you originally planned. And I can't wait for you to come guest another time. Yeah, it'll you know, just future future episode. Just it's you know not set in stone, but it's gonna happen, guaranteed. It's it's gonna happen. Yeah, we'll we'll get there when we get there, and I'm sure no one's really worried about that. But um, so on this podcast, we like to have a lot of fun. Um, so we actually have our first segment of the podcast known as the Bombersville Sometimes, which is kind of like what we like to we call it the top bun of the content. Like if our podcast is a sandwich, it's like the top piece of bread and then the meat, which is the actual like, uh, I don't know, focus of the episode is is usually, you know, it's in the center. And then at the end, we have our correspondence corrections, which is the, the bottom bun, so to speak. And and tell me, Duncan, what's your what is on your sandwich? You know, what what <laughs> would you what would you signify to be spooky ingredients? I'm now curious. I'm, I'm on a tangent. <laughs> OK, well, um, I know. In the uh, Bumbersville, sometimes they, they like to talk about previous stuff, right? Uh, that was related to, in some form, uh, tangently related to uh, stuff that was covered on the podcast at some at some previous point. And I have something for that, actually. I, I hope you do, because I definitely don't. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I do, yeah. Yeah, go go ahead and go for it. I, you're trying to throw it on me, and I didn't appreciate no, that. No. <laughs> go, go I was it. I was actually trying to get you to say what you think is the most spookiest ingredient that can be on a sandwich. Like literally, well, that was my question. But I, don't I want guess to talk about it, but it could probably horseradish. I mean, that's, oh, oh. that's horseradish is pretty uh, pretty spooky. You know what was it? <laughs> Three four months ago, I decided to swallow two spoonfuls of wasabi which isn't wasabi it's it's like it's like horseradish and um i felt so bad it's good if you mix it with like mustard and it's it can it can be good it has the capacity to be good i was so sick i i was i almost puked in a boba tea place i it was <laughs> and they were like, man, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? Anyway, so I do happen to have a story. So I can't remember what episode we may have talked about it. If so, I'll, I'll, I'll link it here. Hey, so apparently it's me, Mal, after Mal, the editing Mal. Apparently we actually never did do a topic about Queen Mary of Scots. It's now on our list, but that doesn't take away from some of the great information I'm about to put out there. But we have talked about the Queen Mary of Scots at some point. But we probably just talked about it tangentially in other episodes. But we, we promise to get to that topic soon because there's a lot to go over with that one. And uh, back to the episode. But I know that at some point we did some tangential topic or a hardcore topic on Mary Queen of Scots. 
and how specifically she was imprisoned for a long part of her life in years that I can't find right now because I'm not staring at it. Uh, 15 during the time between like the 1570s to the, like the late 1580s. Basically, she was interred and imprisoned for a majority of her life or a large section of her life because there was a thought that she was, um, I'm loosely remembering here, uh, going to overthrow some kind of a throne for England. And um, there's a lot of context there. And again, I'll link the episode that that was based on because, again, the ladies did a way better job of talking about it. But small little update. It just so happens that three code breakers, amateur code breakers, just recently, the beginning of this month of February, set out to decrypt old letters that their Mary Queen of Scots was giving to a lot of her, like, spies and cohorts and entrusted confidants. And they actually were able to break the code for many of her, for, like, over half of the letters that she had written. Oh, wow. And they were talking about how the context of the letters brings up much more into question about the time frame that she was writing letters and also the extent of how serious a lot of her claims were and how in many of the letters she would try to be like, well, you have to watch out for this person because they might try to assassinate X, Y, and Z. We need to get this person on our side. Watch out for this person on the political circle because they're trying to blah, blah, blah. And how a lot of her letters were talking about her trying to win her freedom from imprisonment, basically, which, you know, didn't happen, you know, spoiler alert. But um, this this sounds straight out of like a some kind of show, like a like a mini series or something like that. But I'm looking at that, at it as you're talking about it, and yeah, this is a legitimate thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a real ass thing, man. <laughs> to give to give some proper nouns and some respect to the people that did this, we have George Lassery of Israel, we have Norbert Bierman of Germany, and Satoshi Tomokio of Japan. I'm sorry if I murdered your names. Um, they're part of an international community of code breakers and scholars that were working on historical ciphers. Uh, they have their, you know, regular jobs and regular lives, but they joined together on a specific project and uncovered more than 55 unknown, previously unknown letters that Mary Queen of Scots had written during her time of, of uh, captivity. And the way that they found it uh, during my readings is they actually found uh, these 55 letters hidden away in Italy. They were actually assumed to be coded Italian letters of a political sort, not letters written by Mary Queen of Scots. And um, I'm looking at like the cipher that was used to break it. I'm so glad this is not what I do for a living. I just can't imagine looking at these symbols and in like, I guess, diagrams and symbols and just being like, oh, well, this obviously means like, uh, deleting previous symbol, um, going for the symbol of repeating pre past symbols, going to the symbol three paragraphs before, like really intense stuff. I feel like code breaking or code knowledge is more something you've dabbled in, I, I guess I should say, versus me. Yeah, I, I uh, have always been interested in codes ever since like National Treasure. Um, great movie. And great movie. Yeah, I still, I still love that movie. Nicolas Cage uh, in his prime. Uh, this code that I'm looking at, imagine, if you will, listeners, the English language, but then you have to add math mm-hmm. to it to read. You have to, like, add and subtract and then, like, solve for Y, and then that's the language. That's what this looks like. And also Klingon. Um, <laughs> honestly, honestly. There, there's a lot of unsolved codes. Like one of the most famous ones is in Langley. It's uh, uh, they're still working on it. It's one of these like large stones or whatever. Um, 
And I know, like, recently the uh, Georgia stones or whatever were blown up by somebody, but... Uh, oh, really? Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, those aren't codes exactly, but they're... It's, like, more of a read-between-the-lines kind of thing, but... Uh, yeah, no, this stuff is really, really interesting. I think the listeners should probably go watch or listen, rather, to that episode um, talking about uh, Mary Queen of Scots, because if she was doing this, she must have been quite, quite a woman. So, yeah, from based on the like 50 to 55 letters that were decoded is is the way to put it. These letters from the time frame of 1578 to 1584, most of them are addressed to Michael de Castelnou. Mavisier, the I don't, I'm so sorry, <laughs> the uh, French ambassador to England, and they suggest, suggest that a secure line of communication between the two opened a lot earlier than historians had previously known. And the concept for anyone who studies history to learn that, oh, everything that I've known about a topic is vastly different than I had understood. One may think, oh, that's sad, that's depressing, that's frustrating. I, in my opinion, and many other historians' opinions, I'm sure, that's amazing. That's just like, oh, holy shit, this, it's blown wide open. This is amazing. So apparently it's going to take a long time to continue to decipher the rest of these letters. But I look forward to, I'm assuming, the vast amounts of knowledge we're going to gain from this. I mean, if anything, it's like a, a historian's gold mine, right? Like learning, mm -hmm. you you have these professors that are spending decades of their life researching something, right? And they'll spend you know, this one topic. They'll spend just like hours and hours a day, like losing sleep on these things. And then these guys that are just like code breakers for fun break the code, and then it's just like at last something more. And then they lose more hours of their life on it. It's just interesting to think about how they're actually like courses in college that you can take that are just on people's lives yeah, um yeah and this is all part of that it's a whole separate thing like there's actually like some some courses i forget which colleges do it but there are some courses that are talking about codes i mean there's symbology classes which is one thing but then there's codes yeah. as another and this kind of dips into all of that like if you're interested in one you might be interested in the other i think that's pretty neat but and we definitely yeah, I mean, see is... we definitely see that in most lessons of history, a lot of things are more linked than you could realize. And this goes to any almost any topic you could think of. And we, we've talked about in a lot of episodes about that kind of concept where it's just like so many things geopolitically or economically or socially are just so linked in a way. Um, I, I think I I'll link the episode here. It was an episode about how different cultures revere and view a creature known as the Pegasus. That would be episode 253, and I was actually referencing the unicorn, not the pegasus. And how different cultures have a different interpretation of what it looks like, what it does, what it means. So it's just those kinds of things when you go to... History is cool. <laughs> yeah, it, history is cool. <laughs> history is cool. Um, anyway, so that's that's what I had for the Barman School sometimes. Um, expect Chelsea next week to have really funny Facebook memes. Uh, that's not as much my thing as it is hers. She gets a huge kick out of that, but... I think we'll, I don't know, I guess just do the podcast. Yeah, I mean, as it so happens, I have a uh, history-themed uh, uh, topic here today. Perfect. Um, well, before we get into the meat of the podcast, uh, let's just have a quick word from our sponsors. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right. So, Duncan, before you begin your topic first, though, I'm just going to crack open a cold one. And um, okay. I got myself a, a Sprite. And uh, hey, I'm ready to listen to you. Talk to me. You're, I don't know. Uh, I know someone said this and I think it fully. Your voice is extremely attractive. I don't know if listeners know. Duncan and I have a secret love affair that we've had our entire lives. We've <laughs> known each other. Yeah, and there, it, there's no stopping it. It's just incredible. <laughs> it's like a snowball. It just keeps getting like you know stronger and stronger. It goes faster and faster. Yeah, you keep begging me to move in with you, and it's honestly like you have to you have to give us space, you know. That's the thing, <laughs> and we talk about like the housing market, how there's not enough room, and I would you know we could share closets together, but that's just not you know that's not fair to your partner. It's not fair to mine. It's just. Of all the people we know, I think yeah, you and I are the two that could probably be okay living in and out of a closet. Could probably survive in just a closet alone. I think I think we've both done something of a similar accord, but I mean <laughs> yeah, here yeah. here nor there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, what you got? Does the phrase "underground Egyptian city hidden in the Grand Canyon" uh, spark interest? I'm going to tell you that uh, you said the word underground and I was already one. Um, that's <laughs> That sounds amazing. And I'm confident you've got a lot of historical context to tell us about this it. This is something I do. I, I have some some context, but specifically, this is the type of thing I would have expected to have heard of uh, years ago or to have seen on the news or, or in a book somewhere. I discovered this on accident when I was researching my other topic. Um, and that's how it works. And that's how this happens. I, yeah, I just followed the thread onto this one. And honestly, I want to uh, to tell you about this. I want to tell everybody about this. So, Well, again, I could listen to you for hours at a time, so please. <laughs> okay. All right. I have an article here that was written by a Philip Coppins, um, which is largely informative about this uh, Egyptian underground city and or society in the Grand Canyon and some uh, reasons to why you might not have heard of this uh, incident big story right this if someone were to tell you right now like oh yeah we found potentially ancient Egyptian artifacts uh, in, in like Fresno um, you would think, yeah, that person's lying. That person's nuts. that's that's insane. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Fresno is in the Central Valley of California. It's where actually my hometown is, and it sucks ass. Don't go there. So, yeah, Fresno's not great, but the Grand Canyon is quite a sight to behold. I've only been there once, 
and I was a child, and it was big then. It's going to be big now. But the Grand Canyon <laughs> is long. It big. She thick. And this this Grand Canyon has uh, lots of actual history that we have concrete evidence for, uh, like Pueblo Indians and and a lot of other Native American uh, uh, tribes like Navajo. The the thing about the Grand Canyon is because it's so big and treacherous like it's dangerous to traverse oh, yeah. a lot of it actually isn't documented or a lot of it isn't really discovered um and so the majority of the plausibility to the story stems from this fact it's a big open like crevice in the ground crevice just doesn't do it justice <laughs> it's a great word though and it was carved supposedly by running water that used to be towards the top and it just carved this big old crack into the ground and now we have this mysterious grand now, canyon now was it my amount of education is lacking in many areas but was it running water i thought it was glaciers was i was... Uh, water was what i remember okay um, i mean i'm not like a geologist or anything like that but i do know that water was one of the biggest things and it still erodes the grand canyon still every year gets slightly deeper because of the water that's in there Interesting. Um, Interesting. Erosion being the biggest factor there, I believe. So, I mean, you know, glaciers, you know, water freezing, stones getting bigger and then shrinking and all that causes movement. We, we see that all over the world. But there's nothing quite like the Grand Canyon anywhere else in the world. Um, and so the article opens up with this. Is there within the Grand Canyon an enigmatic system of tunnels that is evidence of an ancient Egyptian voyage in America? There's a lot to unpack there. Oh, yeah, there is a lot to unpack, and I'm about to unpack it, baby. Uh, on April 5th, 1909, a front-page story in the Arizona Gazette, which is a real news, like it was at least at the time, a real news uh, article. Like, and then they, uh, they did this article. I guess. <laughs> they did this article. People threw tomatoes at their front door. They closed, and they, they were not <laughs> yeah. in business anymore. Yeah, they're not a thing anymore, but it was called the uh, Arizona Gazette or the Phoenix Gazette reported on an archaeological expedition in the heart of the Grand Canyon, funded by the Smithsonian Institute, which had resulted in the discovery of ancient Egyptian artifacts. No shit. Okay. Uh, yeah, you may notice April 5th is a little close to April 1st, uh, but the story could be true. However, nothing since has been heard of, of this discovery. Today, over 5 million tourists visit the Grand Canyon each year. Uh, you would thus expect that if anything was hidden in the canyons, it would thus since long have been uncovered. However, most tourists only spend around three hours of time at the Grand Canyon. Uh, when I went there, I was there for like 30 minutes. So uh, usually visiting the legendary South Rim View around mile 89, where most of the best and oldest tourist facilities are located. I, I definitely agree with what your statement was earlier, is that the Grand Canyon's one hell of a thing. It's 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 here in the United States. It's very unique, but I will say you could just look at an aerial view or you could look at a picture from a tourist. Yeah, there's definitely some validity to seeing the majesty of, you know, the earth in person. But unless you're going to go deep in there and spend like potentially a day in there, I don't know. I, I would I would pass on a three hour trip. I would. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to go again. Um and a lot of people do go. They, like, ride down the river. Uh, uh, they can, like, float down the river there. But it doesn't go all the way. Like, it doesn't go from one end all the way to the other. There's uh, lots of sections that uh, can't really easily be traversed. Um, and so you have to float for a bit, get off, walk around, go up a path, down a path, and then continue on. So some, some of the uh, Grand Canyon just really isn't ever, like, 
explored. Um, most of day, the people yeah. that do visit visit the same areas. Like there's a couple uh, notable like gift shops and or historical like landmarks, whatever. And they go there, take a couple selfies, be like, "Yeah, I was here," and then go to the next place. However, some have said that the entire discovery of this uh, supposed Egyptian artifacts. Uh, has become the center of a major cover-up, apparently in an effort to maintain the old status quo, which is that the ancient Egyptians never ventured outside of the tranquil waters of the River Nile. Now, I will say I'm confident. I'll link whatever episode we did about ancient Egyptians because when you say ancient Egyptians in a mixed crowd of people, someone's going to say, it's aliens, for (laughs) undoubtedly... Um, but the, cons- the the fact is been proven time and time again that Egyptians were fucking intelligent. So were the Mayans. So were so many other civilizations and we just don't give them credit for. The concept of them potentially having gotten to the Americas in one way or another is as plausible as the Vikings having gone also to America. And I'll link the uh, episode I did about the Vikings traveling to America here as well. And that would be episode 269. Man, I'm just setting myself up for so much difficulty later, but okay, I guess. Better you than me, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. you, know, you don't edit this. That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's dive in. The original story goes that the team found an underground network of tunnels high above the Colorado River containing various ancient artifacts, statues, and even mummies. A major discovery, no doubt about it. Impossible to slip off the archaeological radar. Still, the Smithsonian Institute will report it as no records. Uh, it has no records on the subject. So, what happened? Well, to find out, there is only one guide. The article itself. Though the article was uh, anonymous, of course, it did identify some of the archaeologists involved. Interesting, okay. It says, under the direction of Professor S.A. Jordan, with Smithsonian-backed adventurer G.E. Kincaid, who then relates his findings. But the story gets weirder when the Smithsonian stated that it had no Kincaid or Jordan on record. In one inquiry from uh, 2000, the institution replied, The Smithsonian Institution has received many questions about an article in April 5th uh, about Kincaid and his discovery of a great underground citadel in the Grand Canyon hewn by an ancient race of uh, possibly Egyptians. The Smithsonian's Department of Anthropology has searched its files without finding any mention of a Professor Jordan or Kincaid or a lost Egyptian civilization. Nevertheless, this story continues to be repeated in books and articles. There is room for a cover-up, of course. As some have argued, the files do not necessarily have to be set within the departments themselves, and the reference to the uh, Phoenix Gazette rather than Arizona Gazette could be a simple error or an escape valve that is so often present in official replies engineered to debunk. Uh, Kind of like uh, the CIA Division X has no record often means the uh, division Y is the one that has the record. And there's there's definitely a lot of conspiracy, because when we talk about conspiracies, there's a lot to say about there is an easy potential for somebody to have someone higher up to have seen the article or have even seen more foolproof evidence and be just like, we can't let, I don't know, the public know of this and yeah i mean it's it's called plausible deniability right it's if you compartmentalize your knowledge then i mean even if there is no greater truth there's no way you could ever really know that because you only ever get a piece of it at a time um and that's kind of what this this is saying it's like well the smithsonian is saying oh yeah we we don't know of a jordan or a kincaid but there's other departments 
there's other departments of the Smithsonian. So it's just like, well, maybe the uh, employment department actually does have records of it, but they don't really go into who was doing the research and where they looked and what they didn't find. Um, it's just like, yeah, we don't have any records of it. Just, just straight up denial. Yeah. But you know, somebody else could have the records. You know, the records could have been sent to another department or whatever. We don't have the records. I mean, so and that it's, doesn't mean they don't exist. That is, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And there's an easy, also plausibility for they did exist, but in the shuffle, they may have gotten lost. I can think of multiple examples of just bureaucratic red tape, or just like I talked about the Vatican libraries and how I'll link the episode here, and that would be episode two twenty eight about how a part of the Bible went missing for like a plethora of years just because it was underneath a table and people forgot that it was there. So it's just that this stuff happens. History gets lost, sadly. Yeah, I mean, it, it does get lost. And that is the uh, inevitable truth is that if we don't hold on to it, we'll forget it. And that's kind of the, the it's a sad thing. But that's why these types of stories are so important is because uh, if nobody tells them, then nobody will ever know. Um to continue on, if I if I may. Um, um, no, no, you're actually fired, okay. and the podcast ends here. All right. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you for thank you for listening, everybody. No, please continue. Yeah. Um, so, if there is no Professor Jordan and uh, Kincaid himself. Is th does that mean this is all a hoax? Well, not necessarily. Um, on March 12th of the same year that they uh, uh, did the article about Egyptian artifacts, uh, the Gazette had reported on an earlier phase of Kincaid's adventure. So this oh. isn't the first time. He, he, he's been in the article before. He's been in the, uh, the news reports before. Uh, literally a month before this article, he had another one. It's called the G.E. Kincaid Reaches Yuma. Uh, here, Kincaid is identified as being from uh, Idaho, uh, Lewiston, Idaho. He arrived in Yuma after a trip from Green, uh, Green River, Wyoming, down the entire course of the Colorado River. It says uh, he is the second man to make this journey and came alone in a small skiff, stopping at his pleasure to investigate the surrounding country. He left Green River in October, having a small covered boat with oars and carrying a fine camera, which he secured over 700 views of the river and canyons, which were unsurpassed. Mr. Kincaid wow. says one of the most interesting features of the trip was passing through the sluiceways at uh, Laguna Dam. He made this perilous passage with only the loss of an oar. The account is factual <laughs> enough and seems to be just that. Fact. The article concludes some interesting uh, archaeological discoveries were unearthed and altogether the trip was of such interest that he'll, he will repeat it next winter in the company of friends. But less than a month later, the same newspaper seemed to continue their story where they had left it off. Kincaid was now talking about his interesting archaeological discoveries, which consisted out of a series of tunnels and passages with a cross chamber near the entrance containing a statue. The idol almost resembles Buddha, though the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship it represents. Taking into consideration everything found thus far, it is possible that this worship uh, most resembles the ancient people of Tibet. He also stated that he had found an unknown gray metal resembling pl uh, platinum, as well as a tiny, uh, as well as tiny carved heads scattered on the floor. Urns bore mysterious hieroglyphics, the key to which the Smithsonian Institute hopes yet to discover. In another room, he found mummies. Some of the mummies are covered with clay and are wrapped in a uh, bark fabric. So, hmm. I mean, it's saying he he's been in the in this news before, and this article talking about his uh, archaeological discoveries it just seems like it's continuing the uh, 
original article. It's just saying, hey, here, here's more, you know. So what what you're saying then is that the first article was kind of like if we talk about the, the let's say it's fake side, the first article as a theory. I, I like this idea, so I don't want it to be a theory or fake. But as a theory, someone needed to write an article. They made up a fake name. They had a guy go down the river being the second person in existence to do it. And then noting that it does well, potentially writes another article less than a month later about those exact discoveries made on that trip. Are you telling me a man with a single oar found an ancient Egyptian citadel potentially? Well, that's, that's what it seems. And, uh, there, there's a lot more to it than that too. Um, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to dig right in. Oh yeah. It, yeah. It, it does. I mean, whenever it's one person doing this dangerous thing alone, it, it always has like some kind of an, an air of fiction to it. Right. But the fact that a month later they have all of the detail, it just kind of – it would be weird if it's like – it's like a magazine doing, oh, yeah, so we have this uh, thing that could be real. And then we have an article the the next month that's just like, okay, and here's the stuff that uh, that the previous article was talking about. It's – The follow-up piece. Usually, yeah. usually there's – a follow-up piece for whenever there's fact, right? Usually it's like, hey, so we're going to talk more on this after we've like... Uh, got more details. Declassified yeah. everything or we got the detail. We've done the uh, the interview and all that. And we got all that detail. Here, Here's the actual full article or whatever. Uh, it's kind of a way to get people to uh, buy the, the newspaper or the magazine. It's like, hey, we're going to talk about this next month. So, you know, be looking out for it. That's very um, true when it comes to like, I've noticed with kinds of journalism because journalists and news want to cover a story as soon as possible. They want to cover uh, an incident to its full depth and scope as soon as possible, but they never have all of the details necessarily yet. Not until usually a month is, a, is actually a pretty great time frame for saying like, oh, now we finally were able to go through the information and we looked at testimonials. We now have the more exact details. So that way you don't have to go anywhere else and you can just look at our article only for your number one trusted source of news. So there also it kind of brings a thought of this this publication doubled down like you don't just write a second article that's potentially fake without risking it all you know like yeah i mean e even in 1909 uh i mean if you want people to buy your your newspaper um saying flat out lies i mean you might get a couple quick sales but then you're gonna lose the faith of everyone that that reads quickly so, and that's uh that's that's death in that was death for business during that time because Obviously, getting your newspaper into the hands of people of your town was the way to make money. That's how that worked versus, yeah. no, well, now we have the World of Web and all this other shit, so. I mean, we're talking about the time. This is before the Titanic sank. Like, this, this, oh, is, yeah. this is, not everybody can read, and the ones that can probably have the money. So, um, I mean, you, you want to, I mean, you have to know your audience, first of all, and then second, you have to keep them entranced. And that's why this two-article thing is kind of a good idea. And there's more evidence that could say that what I'm about to read is, is real, and that is uh, certain words like, idols resemble Buddha rather than are Buddha. The worship resembles that of Tibet, not is. It's almost like Kincaid is trying to use analogies to explain his discovery. Um, and, and that's mm. normally used whenever you're, you're telling the truth, right? It, it's not like, oh yeah, this thing I did, it's, it is aliens, right? It's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it looks like this. I'm trying to describe to you what I saw and this is the best way I can describe it. 
um, as opposed to saying this is what it is. Especially because uh, obviously there's a whole concept to lies. And I, speaking of universities, we spoke earlier, you can take cl- classes on like social perception and insight on like, how can you tell people are lying, you know, stuff like that. And from my understanding, people who tell lies either give way too much detail and they give too specific detail. So we, in your example, it sounds like Kincaid is just like, I'm going to tell you what I know, but it's really hard to, to tell you because it's something I haven't really seen before. Or you got to go there yourself. Like, I just I need you to know what little I know. Yeah. The thing about like the the article itself, it's, it's not written by Kincaid. It's it's written by a dude who interviewed Kincaid. And so in, anything that sounds like it's. Uh, concrete evidence or whatever is is written by the uh, person who wrote the article. Uh, now, of course, it's an anonymous author, but uh, it seems like Coward. it is the anonymous author of the article who makes the connection with uh, ancient Egypt and lets his mind float to one of the biggest discoveries of all time versus Kincaid being like, hey, bruh, this is like pyramids and shit. Like, it's... it's I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's real or not. It probably isn't, but it sounds like there There's is a plausibility. some truth here. And there usually is some truth, right? And that's how you make something believable. What was it? I think you told me years ago, there's always a grain of truth in every lie. It's it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, if you if this was the plot of a book, I would eat it up. I Because yeah. the thing is, Kincaid sounds almost like a Indiana Jones type of guy. Yeah, I was going to say that. You know, he's... He's discovering he, – he's really just exploring and he's just discovering this as he explores, right? Yeah. And usually it is like when you're going to – you're going out and looking for something, you don't always find it. But when you're just wandering, you'd be finding stuff left and right. Yeah. And that, yeah. That's kind of what uh, Lewis and Clark were doing, right? They, they were just trying to catalog things that they see and they discovered – like whole tribes, forests, different kinds of animals they've never seen before. They weren't looking for it necessarily. They were just finding it. And the thing um, is, to, to go with your example there with Lewis and Clark, that first step, or one of the first steps, I should say, because obviously, you know, people lived here before us, to categorize and like get drawings of and get distinct like examples of, those are essential to our understanding and expansion of knowledge, just like. And another example would be a newspaper article talking about a potentially buried underground Egyptian citadel. You know, these are the first steps towards uncovering that truth. And I think you're right. Usually people just wander around and they're like, I saw this weird temple in the woods. And then the next week it's all over the news and we hear about this and it's like, oh, there might have been blood sacrifice. And you just you got to wander. Yeah. Still, the newspaper apparently never followed up the story after the uh, second article, um, though the Smithsonian involvement is therefore either proof of a cover-up, as some have claimed, or they are telling the truth. This does not mean that the entire story is a hoax, or that the newspaper fabricated the story. Kincaid may have existed, and may have inflated his credentials. Alternatively, he may have Mm. made the entire thing up. It may be a hoax, but by whom? The newspaper reported rather factually about it. It may have been... It may have been their hoax in an effort to sell more papers, but if so, you would expect to hear more about it, including announcements like more to come in the following edition, whetting the public's appetite. The anonymous author may have fabricated the story as he perhaps could not fill the entire newspaper, uh, perhaps which leaves Kincaid. Uh, In his first account, we read how he stated that he has made archaeological discoveries, but these seem to have occurred all on his own. 
Uh, furthermore, it is clear that he has made numerous photographs. We need to stress that the discovery of the underground network occurred before the first story was written. That's true. That's, I was going to ask so, about the photographs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where are the photographs? That's the, that's the real thing. <laughs> if we where had the photographs, the... <laughs> that would be great. But we don't actually have the photographs. Well, especially because um, the first article talked about how he took 700, in a sense, yeah, wildlife photography style photos. Yeah, but, but the, the thing about it is like cameras didn't have unlimited film back then. I mean, they didn't have digital cameras. So the Grand Canyon is towards the end of the expedition. He was going from Wyoming all the way down. The Grand Canyon, I don't know if you know this, is in Arizona, which is pretty far from Wyoming. Um, and so this is actually towards the end. So it's possible that he ran out of film, which would have been pretty coincidental. It, I mean, convenient, but it definitely convenient, still. definitely like coincidental. I can agree with you 100% there. But again, we keep dipping into the plausible deniability, as you mentioned earlier, where it's just yeah. like there is a potential for there to be truth about this. And if I think, uh, I think a whole team of people from the Smithsonian should go back and be like, listen, you all said that there was some article from some dude that worked here that we can't find. Let's go again and we'll see if there's something actually there. Yeah. It, it appears that the discovery was made roughly four to six months prior to the uh, article. But in the second story, we learned Kincaid apparently did not travel alone, but was helped by a professor from the Smithsonian. That was the S.A. Jordan. Yes, uh, yeah. Also, it seems he did not make any photograph of his discovery, or at least if he did, he didn't present them um, when the article or the interview was being made. Mm. Though he claims that the access was very difficult, you would expect Kincaid to have some photographs of the general area, but uh, cameras were big at the time, hard to lug around. That's true. Um, and he, in the article, uh, he goes uh, over how it was difficult to get to the cave that had all of this e supposed Egyptian connection stuff in it. It is clear that as far as the newspaper was involved, they were reporting on recent information. Uh, but why Kincaid had not included his discovery in his original account back in March is more enigmatic. Uh, even though the, the newspaper may have wanted to wait to run it, it is clear that the delay is entirely Kincaid's. Uh, with no traces of Kincaid, though, did he actually exist? Jack Andrews has underlined that uh, Kincaid may have been a real person. Jack Andrews is a researcher. Uh -huh. um, in the newspaper report, Kincaid mentions that he was looking for mineral, whatever that means. Sometimes you just crave the mineral. Yeah, it quotes, uh, I was journeying down the Colorado River in a boat alone looking for mineral. The canyon was a known source of minerals, including copper. But in 1908, the year of Kincaid's expedition, uh, President Theodore Roosevelt had made the canyon in, an, uh, in a national forest, closing it for a... Uh, closing it for any mining or prospecting activity. Andrews has furthermore... Yeah shown that the area in which he allegedly found the cave was a well-known area for prospecting. So he could be real, even though perhaps the newspaper got his name wrong. A spelling mistake could send a researcher off the right track, uh, resulting in the conclusion that a per that the person did not exist. And especially so, uh, if, if the Kincaid was real as well, and the Smithsonian can't find information about him or the other professor that was assisting, a misspelling could mean that it could mean the difference of being able to find that. Because again, you talked about how different departments have different information. And especially if, what if they only got the funding to go the one time? It's like, that's only a small amount of data that can get lost. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about the spelling of his name is like when they were saying, uh, we found no records of Kincaid. They uh, used an, uh, Kincaid spelling K-I-N-K-A-I-D, but Kincaid is K-I-N-C-A-I-D in the article. 
So it's possible that they're like, yeah, we didn't find out Kincaid and spelt it wrong on purpose. I mean, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to say with any certainty, but uh, that could, you know, cause people to just be like, oh, he must not be real because we couldn't find anything for this Kincaid. So this this researcher you were talking about, what's his name again? Uh, it was Jack Andrews. Is a researcher that was uh, looking into um, the Kincaid story. Got it. And uh, makes, just, makes just... a lot of observations about it. Does he? Well, if he's got more observations about it, I'd love to hear them. But we probably should see about doing the uh, Patreon skit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you are amazing at ad-libbing and acting, to be quite <laughs> honest. You're, you're one okay. of the most um, gifted and charismatic men I've ever met in my life. Uh, you flatter me. Um. <laughs> if if listeners if you if listeners if you want to just send us an email and you want to just hear us flirting with each other for the entire for another episode entirely we're okay with that. That's a different podcast. It's a whole <laughs> that's a whole different you know. <laughs> yeah, I would wait, subscribe. Tune in on Sundays for the for the new <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, see that's what we have. We have uh, a twelve dollar Patreon here, and that's uh, <laughs> that's specifically <laughs> that's this one. Yes, yes. <laughs> just, yeah, just yeah. There we go. So here's what here's what I'm going to do to make it easy for you, because you're definitely a guest. What I want you to do is I want you to describe to me, let's say you're Kincaid or the Explorer, or maybe you're a professor or maybe you're um, he's got a whip. His name escapes me. Um, <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones. You know, one of those types, man, his name was just gone. Um, and you have come to meet a newspaper and you're telling me about some of the discoveries you've made, potentially of an Egyptian nature. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you which tiers of the Patreon I probably could apply for. How do you how do you feel about that? Uh, let me get this straight. I'm telling you that I found things. And you're just like, yeah, that would fit in this Patreon tier. Specifically because with our newspaper publication, we have to be able to cater certain sections of our newspaper to certain readers, obviously. You know, we can't mm -hmm. be putting your findings in the section that has recipes on how to make banana bread. So it's really gotcha. important that you tell me your findings and I'll write them up. And don't worry, I'll put my name as anonymous. So that way you get all the credit. But I need to make sure I know exactly what it is you did discover. All right. Yeah, I'm down. Well, I appreciate you coming in. I appreciate you having technically explored potentially the entirety of the Grand Canyon. No man's ever done that. There's obviously no way to think that you're lying. So tell me, what what did you discover, sir? Um, hello, my name is G.E. <laughs> Kincaid. Um, I have discovered quite a lot of things. Okay, okay. Um, tell me, are you interested in minerals? I, I love minerals, to be quite honest. Um, we have a lot of hardcore mineral fans for the newspaper, so please, if I could lick a mineral at any time, I would. I've been prospecting minerals, and uh, I found a shiny rock. Um, what, uh, what do you think it's worth, this uh, little, little rock? Well, most minerals I would probably range are somewhere in like the $10 range, depending on what you're doing. But depending on the type of discovery that you're making about minerals, my recommendation would be our $2 Patreon section of the newspaper, the Crypt Cord. Uh, this section is usually where people talk about recent, recent discoveries, funny enough, Kincaid, where they share things about recipes, uh, pet pictures, you know, really fun conspiratorial facts. Uh, my recommendation would put it in that section of the newspaper, but but tell me about the rock. I need to... Give me the deets on the rock, man. Well, this rock I found uh, was uh, nearby a statue that resembles uh, Buddha. Uh, what would you think the Buddha statue is worth? Okay, well, if we're talking about putting information in the publication about 
potentially religious figures. But you said you said it looked like Buddha, though. Yeah, see, it resembles Buddha. Resemble not oh. is, but it resembles Buddha. That's a that's a very important fact. I would probably see about putting that in our five dollar section of the Patreon of the newspaper patreon.com slash culture crypto conspiracies, the bits section, because we want to make sure that we cut out certain parts of information that we do receive, stuff that's still relevant, but might cloud the judgment of most viewers, and they get they get cut apart and put to a side section that like gets published every once in a while. And from there, people can link to it, to your main discovery. But we don't want people thinking this is immediately linked to Buddha. And I, I appreciate that you say resemble, because that makes a big difference. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, however, what would you say these mummies I've found go for? Oh, mummies. Oh, now you've peaked. Oh, you've piqued my interest. You see, we have a uh, pretty serious fan base for our $10 section, the uh, Parlor of the Paranormal section of the newspaper, where they like hearing any kind of story of a more <clears throat> romantic nature between the spooky and the uh, material mortals of this plane. If you were to tell me some kind of a story of a, a mummy falling in love with a explorer, Kincaid, you know, um, that would be a perfect publication for our $10 section. I would agree. But take that and I raise it further. Mm -hmm. How high would you go for one Smithsonian conspiracy theory cover-up? Oh, my God. This is going to have to go right to the front page. And most most people aren't able to get their stories and publications on the front page unless they're of the caliber that we like to call the librarian. Someone who brings the knowledge and brings it to us because they it, it feels like to me, Kincaid, you want to share it with the world. This publication on the front page is worth twenty five dollars. And that way, as a newspaper, we're doubling down. We know we did an article about you last month and we want to make sure that you get seen in front of everyone in the world for your discovery of, of of the location near the grand canyon but of a smithsonian cover-up one of the most prestige prestigious schools and um academies of learning i i i think i think i know exactly that's where your publication is going to have to go i think we should discuss further the findings i'd subscribe I'd subscribe really hard. <laughs> That's true. If I, because again, um, patreon.com slash cult conspiracies. We're talking about the fact that most publications are the way that knowledge gets brought into your hands initially first. Getting out of the front page of a newspaper, I would think is the golden ticket. Yeah. I mean, now nowadays people don't read newspapers as much um, unless they're online. But like yeah. I get Yahoo news notifications all the time. And sometimes you just get this little one that pops up and it's like, bruh, I got to read this. And I'll be sitting there for like half an hour reading this thing. Should be working. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, I, won't, I won't say anything. It's fine. Because um, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting, too, because I actually, um, uh, Christina and Chelsea come across this issue multiple times. Well, they'll be looking at information about a podcast and they, for the, for a, a um, you know, idea, idea, and they will read about a professor or something like that, Kincaid being a particular possible example, you know, uh, or someone of a similar caliber, and they'll go to a newspaper website and it's paywalled. And the issue is that the people who do these articles, that's the, the technique now to make it so that way you subscribe to their, I don't know, publication. They'll give you a snippet of information, and the first snippet would be a famous explorer, Kincaid, travels across a river from Wyoming to Arizona, finds ancient civilization under the Grand Canyon of potential Egyptian origin. 
bam, would you like to pay $2 a month for access to the New York Times, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I found this. I mean, fortunately, I don't have to pay for it in this case. But uh, I mean, if there was lots of content like this and all it costs is like $2 just to get to get it. I mean, I mean, I, I would be down for the most part. Like, you know, I, I feel like people are like me and they have a thirst for knowledge, uh-huh. um, especially about lesser known things. Um, that's the information that tickles our brain and before we get yeah. sidetracked and derailed I am in no way sponsoring the New York Times um, at all <laughs> you can enjoy yeah. your form of media however you do um, we have our own personal opinions about the New York Times and others as well but I, I do agree if I found a trustworthy publication and it was $2 a month and it gave me that brain tickling like possible story in underground civilization I would subscribe in a heartbeat yeah I mean the cool thing about this this podcast and the Patreon, just on that note. Um, oh. I mean, the the Discord, the Crypt Cord, um, that we briefly talked about, uh, it's just tons of people who just like the same stuff. It's just, yes. It's like, yeah. hey, yeah, we like, uh, uh, we like spooky stuff. We like cool historical mysteries. We like cats. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty great, honestly. It's, I'm surprised because when we first introduced the concept of the Patreon, just the $2 tier, um, which is our, our lowest tier, even the lowest amount really helps or, you know, don't totally up to you. No one's forcing you to, you know, do what's best for you. But the amount of people that are on there that are like, oh, I'm, I'm in the postal service or I am a geologist or I'm in, a, you know, political city planning. It's just like it's a smattering of different kinds of people. And obviously not just the United States. We have some very awesome patron members that are across the world that it's very often that somebody on the patreon will say did somebody hear about x y and z and immediately someone will reply with i did and i've got a whole article about it right here for you that ability to just connect with other people who will want that kind of knowledge is is really fun and it's really cool yeah um it's, it's kind of perfect too uh, it's like, hey, man, I wish I knew more about this thing. And then somebody's like, boy, do I have like here's twelve here's twelve books and an article and a in a movie. Here's six seasons in a movie. Um, yeah, I know that we um there was the the Voyage manuscript, which I will link the episode here because my I hate myself. And that would be episode nineteen. But we did an episode about it, and then sometime later on the Patreon, someone gave us a copy of the current version of the Voic manuscript, um, obviously, you know, in its current condition, just digital PDF. And that's just like, how the fuck else would I have gotten a hold of that? How that's because somebody had it. And cause someone was like, well, let me tell you what I've got in my back pocket for you. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fuck the Patreon. Don't Don't ever go there. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Those, those, those people. No, 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 please subscribe uh, to the Patreon. We talked a lot about Kincaid himself and or the legitimacy of him in the article. Um, (laughs) But what about the cave? Yeah, yeah. This is what I want to hear more about. Yeah, okay. Well, we about to to dig in. We about to eat at this Wendy's. Let's go. (laughs) It is a fact that the canyon has many holes and caves, most of which are discovered by hikers. Uh, A clear favorite. What? Would you say it has a secret tunnel? A secret tunnel. (laughs) A clear favorite for an Egyptian connection in the area around 94 Mile Creek and Trinity Creek has sites with names like Isis Temple, Tower of Set, Tower of Ra, Horus Temple, Osiris Temple, etc. Uh, huh. In the Haunted Canyon area are such names as the 
Cheops Pyramid, uh, the Buddha Cloister, Buddha Temple, Manu Temple, and Shiva Temple. These are actual places uh, in and around the Grand Canyon. Wow. Um, and that connects so, to like yeah. Egyptian, um, it's some Egyptian culture, but also we're talking about like yeah. India and we're talking about yeah. like a lot of other cultures. Kind of a weird place to think, you know, somewhere in uh, southwestern America, US, US of A is uh, that kind of stuff. But there it is. So is it really so weird to think that this uh, type of cave doesn't exist? Uh, one, one book, Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life, uh, <laughs> claims that two backpackers on their way to Isis Temple found a pyramid made uh, from the native rock. Uh, once at Isis Temple, they claimed to have seen several cave entrances. They stated that the cave entrances were at a height of 800 feet, and two climbed up, hoping to get into what looked like the most promising cave, but instead they found it had been sealed off with rocks. They felt the entrance was, made, uh, was man-made, and that there was a six-foot circular pattern hewn into the ceiling. It huh. is, and that's that's an actual thing. I mean, not, the ancient secret of the Flower of Life, never heard of it before, but uh, that's supposedly got a lot of historical stuff in it. Um, but it is unknown whether this is an actual discovery or more talk, uh, which a relevant Isis temple is more than 40 miles from the location given in the newspaper article. Uh, furthermore, it is but one of the numerous uh, buttes in the Grand Canyon named after ancient Egyptian, uh, Greek, and Hindu, Chinese, and Nordic gods and goddesses. The origin of the rather esoteric naming is nearly as mysterious as the canyon itself and has given rise to more than a little speculation as to what early explorers may have found there. But it also may hmm. be a perfect memory of its time when there was a major fascination with all things Egyptian and Indian. Let's see. Jack Andrews, who we talked about briefly, uh, claims that he has known of uh, Kincaid's location, specifically Kincaid, the man himself, <laughs> that everybody don't, doesn't think is real. I got to uh, find this man. That, yeah, claims that he has known of Kincaid's location since 1972. Wait, he's still alive? Yeah, well, no. Oh. Uh, he says, I have held the secret since then. In June 2001, he felt it was the proper time to reveal the location. Uh -huh. But he later adds that he never discovered the physical location of the man. From his argument, it seems that he has seen the site. Oh, sorry. I for... uh, sorry for a second. Uh, I was saying Kincaid's... Uh... Kincaid the man. No, 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 no. He's talking about the Kincaid's cave. Uh, he claims to know this location of Kincaid's cave and has known about it since 1972. Uh, but he says uh, it wasn't the proper time to reveal the location. But he later adds that he never discovered the physical location of the cave. Uh, from his argument, it seems as if he has seen the site uh, in a dream or a vision, but has never actually stepped foot inside it. I was uh, I was going to ask, if you don't know where the physical location of the cave is, like, do you know it in a spectral sense? Like, what, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I believe the Jack Andrews researcher guy, because, I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, I've been researching this. And also, I happen to have had a vision of where its location is. I mean, it seems kind of weird to me. Using Kincaid's scant information about the site, 42 miles up the river from the El Tovar Crystal Canyon... It's a pretty specific, like, this many miles from here. Like, that's usually if it's made up, it's just kind of like we walked this many minutes, you know, it felt like days or whatever, and found this location. That's how you keep it a secret. But, like, this dude's like, yeah, no, I, you know, 42 miles up from this river, we, we were here and this, this place was there. It turned left at the Buddha, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah. Albuquerque. Um, so, I mean, you'd think people would follow these instructions and, and find the cave itself uh, but they haven't um i will say people but, uh, people get lost in the in the fucking wilds of the us of a often yeah don't do it <laughs> you know what leave it leave it alone 
Yeah. Uh, however, Andrew's saying that uh, prior to him saying that he, he talks about it in, in more depth. He says that Kincaid wrote that the entrance is 1,486 feet down the sheer canyon wall. Definitely not for the faint-hearted. And the question is how Kincaid himself succeeded in the task. So, I mean, even if you know the exact location, that doesn't mean it's easy to get to. And that could be why there are no pictures, because the camera be heavy. Uh, but Andrews, Andrews concludes, I think the cave described in the headline story of the uh, Gazette article and its fantastic underground installation was, and still may be, located above an approximate six-mile stretch of the Colorado River in Marble Canyon, at the border of Marble Canyon in the Navajo Nation above uh, an area near uh, Quagant Rapids. It is possible that it remains to be discovered. One ranger said that the area of the park is very remote, and to this day, uh, early 2000s is when this was talked about, uh, our knowledge of the area is rather slim, and quite frankly, it is not an area we pr patrol regularly. The area is seldom visited. So, I mean, there there are large sections of the Grand Canyon itself that are not really explored, like we had talked about earlier, and that could be why, uh, even if we have relatively specific directions to get there, it could be why uh, nobody's really discovered it since since 1909. And you mentioned also earlier about how Kincaid's actual retelling was that it was extremely difficult to get to as well. And there, yeah, there really is a lot of truth to that concept that the wilds are dangerous there. If you are not trained in or have the expertise in this kind of concept of going, scaling cliffs, climbing, uh, spelunking, uh, essentially, um, it could, it could be life-threatening. And even if... I don't know about the story of whether or not Kincaid went solo in with one oar, from two to one oar, or you know, with a team, with someone at the Smithsonian. But regardless, you usually need a lot of people to be able to do any vast amount of critical exploration of an area. Yeah. This man named David Ick comes Ick. up. <laughs> Ick or Icky. I don't really know how to pronounce it. He's a, well, how do you spell it? an English conspiracy theorist. Uh, I-C-K-E. Icky, yeah. Icky, I, I am. He's a little icky. Uh, he's an English conspiracy theorist and a former uh, footballer and sports broadcaster. Um, but uh, all right, he he reads uh, Andrew's research. He says it's one thing to interpret, or I, I say rather, it's one thing to interpret the Smithsonian's denial as evidence of a cover-up. But David Ick or Icky or whatever uh, made of the story, what he made of the story is quite another thing. Um, in The Biggest Secret, which is uh, one of his books, uh, he writes verbatim, In 1909, a subterranean city which was built with the precision of the Great Pyramid was found by G.E. Kincaid near the Grand Canyon in Arizona. It was big enough to accommodate 50,000 people, and mummified bodies were found of Oriental or possibly Egyptian origin. According to the expedition leader, Professor S.A. Jordan, my own research suggests that it is from another dimension, the lower fourth dimension that the reptilians control. Oh, and uh, they manipulate <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Their manipulation is primarily orchestrated from there. Uh, you got oh all my the uh, reptilians owning, uh, or uh, rather living in the uh, Grand Canyon. Oh my uh, fucking god. Goal. Reptilians rule the world. You, you got me so hard. Uh, the story <laughs> continues to grow and grow, uh, now harboring a sizable population, but... Uh, Ick uh, then adds his own research by using the story as evidence for his reptilian control claims. Um, yeah, so people will, will 
take something that's already lax in, uh, in in factual evidence and then run with it and do their own thing. It's like, yeah, this yeah. story that's maybe fake is evidence for my thing that's definitely real. It's for yeah. sure real. It's one hundred percent real. Think of the yeah. reptilians. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely reptiles that are in our government for sure. Hundred uh, <laughs> percent. That's that's not coping. Um, <laughs> anyway, so where does this leave us? Perhaps the answer is somewhere in the middle of this controversy. With so many caves, some must contain something. Kincaid never said it was Egyptian. He made some comparisons. It could simply have been native. The first culture to occupy the valley were the uh, Ana- Anasazi, which uh, are Anasazi, who entered the uh, region around 500 AD, hunting small game as well as raising corn and squash for their livelihood. By 1080, their culture had advanced to the point where they had begun to develop their own distinctive pottery style, advanced agriculture methods, and a unique form of dwelling known as the Pueblo. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's like living in the side of a cliff wall. Um, it's pretty pretty neat to look at, and that's definitely something that we have uh, like um, archaeological evidence of and pictures of and stuff like that. It's pretty neat. You can look look up uh, Pueblo caves. Yeah, uh, those from, are really cool. From mankind's, yeah, they are really cool, uh, and they're found all throughout uh, South America as well. From mankind's most ancient past, we have favored burials and caves. Um, Burial countries. Burial. Burials. 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 That's it. That's the word. (laughs) Burials. Okay. Okay. Uh, I got there eventually. You know what? I got there. Uh, Furthermore, many cultures have made caves in sheer cliff faces, specifically if they are facing towards the setting sun. It's highly sacred into highly sacred sites, often cemeteries. Uh, So, I mean, they don't just live there. They they look at it as a sacred type of of way of building things and, and burying people and all that. It's just having you know, these holes carved into walls. So this dude finding ancient stuff in a wall in the Grand Canyon is not unheard of. That's definitely not. Also been ha- it done been happening before. So, and it's also done uh, been happening now, even like there, when you talk about the expanse of the planet earth that has been discovered, even though we can see a lot of it with like satellites and stuff like that, n- not all of it has been discovered. And I'm not even talking about the stuff that's even underwater for that fact too. Yeah. Yeah. So, knowing, knowing this, I would say rather than Egyptian or Tibetan in origin, I would argue that uh, the, the cave is uh, most likely remnants of Anasazi or Anasazi groups, uh, widely scattered across the southern Colorado Plateau and the upper Rio Grande, which uh, is one of the, uh, the places that you would usually find Anasazi stuff. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or rather two of the places you'd, you'd usually find Anasazi stuff. Uh, the site is indeed close to a Navajo center as well, um, which was one of the living descendants of the Anasazi, which means ancient ones in Navajo. So in the canyon, De Shelly is the so-called mummy cave, the last known occupied Anasazi site in the area, situated in a large protected alcove about 300 feet above the canyon floor. The two, adja- two adjacent caves harbor the remnants of multi-storied dwelling consisting of about 55 rooms, four ceremonial circular structures, or uh, kivas, possibly dating back to 1050. So we have lots of evidence of ancient civilization in these like cave walls, or the, uh, the canyon walls and caves. Um, and this is all documented stuff. All the stuff I was just saying is like the, the mummy were, cave. And, and there are places that somebody did come with a camera and didn't spend it all at the beginning of their expedition and saved most of it for the end so that we could actually take pictures of all of these locations you're talking of. Because I've seen pictures of these places and they're like, yeah. they're almost, I would say, unsettling. Like they're not weird or creepy. They're just like astounding when you look at different ways of, of life 
before envisioning what we do now, which is live in apartment buildings that are sadly too small. Um, Things have obviously changed and the specific photos of like the ladders that they would use to climb into the holes on the side of like the faces of the cliff where they would sleep and how they would bring up the ladders at night at, or or different examples where they just had like climbable spots in the wall. And that's that's they just did that every day. They would climb in and out of these like wall facing homes. It's just astounding. Yeah. Um, one major difference between those sites that are actually real, like we were just talking about uh, and Kincaid's is that his isn't discovered or at least nobody's been able to find his. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mummy cave that actually does exist equally what it proves is that there is no need for tibetans or egyptians but the local anasazi are likely its occupants uh if it exists and why not the mummy cave may look very different from what we imagine kincaid was describing with with so little known about kincaid when when one person recognizes something as something else and they use it to describe then your imagination can kind of go wild mm-hmm. yeah if, if he doesn't know anything about these anasazi people he looks at it and he's like ah it looks kind of egyptian to me And so now we're all imagining Egyptian stuff like hieroglyphics and all that in the caves. To add to that thought, exactly. Um, I can't recall, but I remember uh, it wasn't a topic on the podcast, but I was reading an article about somebody who was talking about in ancient American history. It was assumed that the Mayans either a were visited by aliens, which whatever, you know, people believe in aliens go good for you, but either that or that like, the Egyptians had come over and taught them how to build pyramids. So there mm. definitely is also some hint or grain of possibility about like the Egyptians having been here. But there's also a lot of truth in the fact that a lot of these more ancient civilizations were just smart. Everybody wanted to figure out how to wrap their dead in a specific ritualistic way to preserve it. And not just Egypt and not just uh, the can you pronounce the the name of the to the people you were talking about Anastasi Anas- uh, it, it says it's like Anasazi or Anasazi. An- okay, um, I knew I was gonna murder it, but like not just them, like all kinds of other civilizations do this kind of stuff too. Yeah, uh, I mean, the ancient civilizations all all over the globe have something in common, and that is they are like either underappreciated or underestimated. Yes, yes. You don't have to know like how to do crazy trigonometry or algebraic equations to be able to like take a chisel to a wall and make it look nice, right? You don't have to know how to do all the math in order to make it look good. Um, You just have to know your craft. And I mean, it it doesn't take like a PhD to to know that people, or at least, you know, mankind has always been uh, pretty good at uh, art and pretty good at construction and carpentry and, and all that. So just naturally, uh, it isn't far fetched to think that, Oh, these things that he thought were actually Egyptian or could be Egyptian are actually just an actual native American ancient civilization. It's a real thing. And it's, that leads me to believe that there is potentially some truth to this, albeit the article's legitimacy is kind of questionable. Uh That doesn't mean that this isn't real and that he wasn't a real person. Um, But now that we've talked about, legitimacy and could be and maybes and and all that i would actually like to read the article um hit me itself and i think the the listeners here can form their own conclusion maybe Uh, it's a pretty long article but uh i'll I'll try to be as uh concise as i can no problem Um, make sure to also breathe that'd be really good for you 
And it's kind of like in an older English because this is, of course, in 1909. Um, but I'd like to read the article, and it, he, he describes what he sees. And, uh, and as, it, as purveyors of the podcast, and you know this, and I would definitely say the ladies would know this, we are here to give you information that we found with our own research, but we always want you to form your own opinion. So if you hear this article that Duncan's about to say word for word in his most beautiful voice, and you're like, I have to do more research about this, and, and there has to be truth to it, great. Or if you hear this and you're just like, this just totally sounds fake, you know, your, your feelings and, and thoughts on that are, are yours to have. I'm really excited to hear this article. All right. So, as we've talked about, it is an Arizona Gazette article uh-huh. uh, that came out April 5th, 1909, and it's titled Explorations in Grand Canyon, Mysteries of Immense Riches in the Cavern Being Brought to Light. Um, and it has uh, a subtext here. Uh, Jordan is enthused. <laughs> talking about S.A. Jordan. Uh, remarkable finds indicate ancient people migrated from Orient. So this is a, a, a conclusion drawn probably by the article writer as opposed to Kincaid or any uh, explorer in this expedition. And I think that I think that's definitely true, too, because it's possible Kincaid could have been like, I found a very small room where someone was mummified and preserved. And the article writer went way beyond that. Well, I'm actually about to tell you what he saw. Hell, um, give it. The article starts like this. The latest news of the progress of the explorations of what is now regarded by scientists as not only the oldest archaeological discovery in the United States, but one of the most valuable in the world, which was mentioned some time ago in the Gazette, meaning a month prior, uh, all right, uh, all was right. brought to the city yesterday by G.E. Kincaid, the explorer who found the great underground citadel of the Grand Canyon during a trip from Green River, Wyoming, down the Colorado in a... Kind of landed thick already. <laughs> Yeah, in a wooden boat to Yuma several months ago. According to the story related to the Gazette by Mr. Kincaid, the archaeologists of the Smithsonian Institute financing the expedition uh, have made discoveries that almost conclusively prove that the race which inhabited this mysterious cavern hewn in solid rock by human hands was of oriental origin, possibly from Egypt, tracking back to Ramses. If their theories are borne out by the translation of the tablets engraved with hieroglyphics, the mystery of the prehistoric peoples of North America, their ancient arts, who they were and whence they came, uh, will be solved. Egypt and the Nile and the Arizona and Colorado will be linked by a historical chain running back to ages with staggers the wildest fancy of the fictionist. Okay. As you can see, the article writer is having the time of his life. <laughs> That's what it feels like. The article writer is like, this is my biggest piece yet. It's like one of those connect the dot pictures and it's supposed to be like of a horse, but he's like making a a seal with like, he's making a whole narwhal. Like he's making something completely whack different. Um, But uh, it continues. Yeah. A thorough investigation. Under the direction of Professor S.A. Jordan, the Smithsonian Institute is now prosecuting the most thorough exploration, with, uh, which will be continued until the last link in the chain is forged. Nearly a mile underground, about 1,480 feet below the surface, the long main passage has been delved into to find another mammoth chamber from which radiate scores of patch- passageways, like the spokes of a wheel. Several hundred rooms have been discovered, reached by passageways uh, running from the main passage one of them having been explored for 854 feet and another for 634 feet. The recent finds include articles that have never been known as native to this country, and doubtless they had their origin in the Orient. 
What war weapons, copper instruments, sharp-edged and hard as steel indicate the high state of civilization reached by these strange peoples. So interested have the scientists become that preparations are being made to equip the camp for extensive studies, and the force will be increased to 30 or 40 persons. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like saying all of this, it's like, oh, I feel you believe what you're saying. I feel what you're saying is true. And I'm going to flip these pages and I'm going to see a picture and I'm going to have more evidence. And like this, if I read the Gazette in 1909, I would have been like, this paper's got it all. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've got everything I want. This is like reading a, reading Indiana Jones as if it was a book. Yeah. Um, or like reading an article of Indiana Jones discovered this thing. It's like, okay, he did the whole, uh, uh, found the Holy Grail and all that. This is somebody who's just like listening to that. And it's like, okay, I'm writing all that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Mr. Kincaid's report. Mr. Kincaid was the first white child born in Idaho. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. The, the very... <laughs> yeah. gotta... I'm not even joking. You gotta... It's in the article. It's, you gotta... it's in the 1909 article. <laughs> Mr. Kincaid was the first white child born in Idaho and has been an explorer and hunter all his life, 30 years having been in the service of the Smithsonian Institute. Even briefly recounted his history sounds fabulous, almost grotesque. <laughs> okay i mean all right <laughs> again the first white child born in idaho okay that's whatever, what gets man. me whatever you say pal. <laughs> that's what stops me it's not yeah. it's not the potentially found egyptian tablets it's the wait yeah. the, the first white the first hold wait on, what hold on this okay he found a cave who cares he's the first white man <laughs> the very idaho? first i gotta really like yeah it continues first i would impress that the cavern is nearly inaccessible the entrance is 1,486 feet down the sheer canyon wall. It is located on government land, and no visitor will be allowed there under penalty of trespass, of course. The scientists wish to work unmolested. <laughs> okay. Without fear of archaeological discoveries being disturbed by curio or relic hunters. That is fair, honestly, though. Yeah, Because no, uh, when they discovered, when they discovered uh, um, like the tomb of Ramses, uh, or was it Ramses? Or was it Tut? I don't remember. I think it was Tut. A lot of people were showing up trying to be like, yeah, I want some of that sweet, sweet relic. Uh, <laughs> give me, money, give me, give me some of that relic. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know, collectors of all types ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. I want. I just want the knowledge to be, I think, think knowledge is something that can be considered sacred and should be kept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. It should be in a museum, as uh, Indiana Jones would say. Yeah, yeah. A trip there would be fruitless and the visitor would be sent on his way. The story of how I found the cavern has been related, but in a paragraph I was, uh, but in a paragraph he says I was journeying down the Colorado River in a boat alone, looking for mineral, some forty-two miles up the river from the El Tavar Crystal Canyon. I saw on the east wall stains in the sedimentary formation about two thousand feet above the riverbed. There was no trail to this point, but I finally reached it with great difficulty. I love how lax in information. I don't. I didn't. Climb, scrape my knee. No, I, I, I finally reached it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I was, tell you how I did it. I was in a boat, but, you know, and then I reached it. I, I was in a boat, and then I climbed 2,000 feet. <laughs> I mean, again, uh, if he was the first white man of Idaho, I believe it. Above a shelf that hid it from the view of the river was the mouth of a cave. So how did he see it? If it was hidden from view from and, the river. And why did he go? I, I mean, if he was, was he just so happenstance to be climbing 2,000 feet? Like, I don't. So there I was climbing 2,000 feet with no rope. With no rope. Just my, 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 my arms, my fists straight into the earth. 
Yep. <laughs> there are steps leading from this entrance some 30 yards to what was, at the time, the cavern that was inhabited. Uh, when I saw the, the chisel marks on the wall inside the entrance, I became interested. Securing my gun, okay, oh, and went in. Okay. <laughs> During that trip, I went back several hundred feet along the main passage till I came to the crypt in which I discovered the mummies. One of these I stood up and photographed by flashlight. Okay, where's that photograph? Okay, so where's the photograph? Yeah. (laughs) I gathered a number of relics, which I carried down the Colorado to Yuma. If it was difficult to climb up there, how did you carry these down? (laughs) That's what I want to (laughs) know. There's not enough details. I need to know. Following this, other explorations were undertaken. The passages. The main passageway is about 12 feet wide, narrowing to 9 feet toward the farther end about 57 feet from the entrance. The first side passages uh, branch off to the right and left, along with, uh, along which on both sides are a number of rooms about the size of an ordinary living room of today. Uh, some are 30 by 40 feet square. These are uh, entered by oval-shaped doors and are ventilated by round air spaces through the walls and the passages. Uh, the walls are about three, uh, 3 feet 6 inches in thickness. The passages are chisel or hewn as straight as could be laid out by an engineer. The ceilings of many rooms converge to a center. The side passages near the entrance run at a sharp angle from the main hall, but toward the rear. Very gradual, uh, they gradually reach a right angle in direction. So he's getting specific with it. And sometimes specifics mean somebody's making it up. But when you're writing an article, specifically when you're being interviewed... Uh, you probably have a lot of this stuff written down. And from what it sounds like, if this was legitimate, he would be with like some kind of rope. Usually they have a marked rope that shows different feet and they just measure the rooms and everything. That's true. Um, yeah. Because, and not to mention, it sounds like a Kincaid had taken these measurements and brought the measurements with him to the Gazette and just like, I, I've got the exact measurements here. Put these measurements in your article because I have legitimacy, because other than having but a photograph... But not the photo. But not the, <laughs> but photo. Not the photo of a mummy. <laughs> yeah, not the photo of a mummy. I just, I'm very... Uh, it's like, I did measure the mummy, but we don't get to see the mummy. I oh, did yeah. Oh yeah. I did take the mummy out and bring him up, and he traveled with me downstream, continuing on my journey, but then he had to get off at a, got back at a, at a yeah, gas he station. A, yeah, he had to stop. He had to stop, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. He, he hitched a ride yeah. back north, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to be super, like, meticulous with, like, measuring things, you would think you would provide the photo. photographic the photo. I don't know. Why Why describe it when you have a camera with you? That's my two cents on you're that. You're so but, right. Uh, a, picture, a picture's worth one mummy. He talks about more things, though, that are of interest. One of them is called the shrine. Over 100 feet from the entrance is the cross hall, several hundred feet long, in which are found the idol or image of the people's god sitting cross-legged with a lotus flower or lily in each hand. The cast of the face is oriental, and the carving of this cavern uh, and the carving of this cavern is also of oriental origin. Oriental, I mean, nowadays it has like a different connotation, but well, back then it, it just meant not American. Yeah, I mean, just it, Eastern. It, mean, it meant East, Eastern is really the, the yeah. general term. Uh, it's um, it's a broad generalization. Buddha. Yeah, he, he continues saying the idol most resembles Buddha, which is probably where he's getting the Oriental from. The, the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship it really represents. Taking into consideration everything found thus far, it is possible that the worship most resembles the ancient people of Tibet. Um, surrounding this idol are smaller images, some very beautiful in form, uh, others crooked-necked and distorted shapes, symbolical probably of good and evil. 
There are two large cactus uh, or cacti with uh, protruding arms, one of each side of on the dais on which the god squats. I don't yeah. really know what it D A I S. I don't know what D-A-I- that means. Uh, oh, dais. Yeah, it's it's dais. Yeah, it's 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 something that's set upon. Yeah, it's it's like a, oh, okay. it's it's like a way of saying throne, but it's different. God's beanbag chair. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, all this is carved out of hard rock resembling marble. In the opposite corner of the cross hall were found tools of all descriptions made of copper. Uh, the, these people undoubtedly knew the lost art of hardening this metal, which has been sought by chemicals for centuries without result. On a bench running around the workroom was some charcoal and other uh, material probably used in the process. There is also slag and stuff similar to mat, showing that these ancients smelted ores, but so far no trace of where or how this was done. I was about to say, is he about to comment on where a forge is? Because it just sounds like this room alone is a like variable gold mine of just like so much stuff. It's like, oh, they had tools. Oh, they made statues. Oh, they praised a God. It's just like all in this one room, buddy. Like all right here. Yeah, I mean. I mean, he's talking about how they have like this, you know, these advanced metals and advanced techniques for hardening metals that has long been lost and all that. It doesn't mean he's right about what the metal is. It True. just means he, he, he recognizes it. Um, but he was like looking for how, how do they get this stuff here? We don't know. And that could lead some to conclude, oh, it must have been brought from Egypt or it must have been brought from somewhere else. Jeez. Um, but he continues and says, among the other finds are uh, vases and urns and cups of copper and gold, made very artistic in design. The pottery work includes enameled ware and glazed vessels. Another passageway leads to uh, granaries, such as are found in the Oriental temples. It contains seeds of various kinds. One very large storehouse has, yet to, uh, has not yet been entered, as it is 12 feet high and can be reached only from above. Two copper hooks ascend on the edge, which indicates that some sort of ladder was attached uh, these granaries are rounded as the materials of which they are constructed, I think, is a very hard cement. A gray metal is also found in this cavern, which puzzles the scientists for its identity has not been established. It resembles platinum. Strewn, promiscuous, strewn promiscuously over the floor everywhere are what people call cat's eyes, a yellow stone of no great value. Each one is engraved with the head of a Malay type. Um, wow, this is so, this is a lot, but it's 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 intense but it's also really well described like there's a lot yeah, of yeah i mean it, it almost sounds like he was writing in a diary as he was there yeah and that's why it's so it's just like hey i'm describing this as i'm here it's so vivid yeah um, and that's what i would do probably is i hey i found this crazy cool place and i'm gonna be as descriptive as possible well especially because uh, nowadays we have like voice recorders and stuff it's like if i found something like this i'd get my phone recorder out or get my camera yeah which is which is what people yeah. do people get their camera out and they're just like what and they get a video recording of this weird thing they're seeing so i could see yeah, that and why he didn't i don't know <laughs> or if he did where's the picture <laughs> where we're just gonna keep, we're gonna keep going back to this, where's these pictures yeah uh, however, the next thing of note, the hieroglyphics on all the urns or walls over doorways and the tablets of stone which are founded by the image are the mysterious hier- found by the image. Hold on his words yeah, yeah. and tablets of stone, which were found by the image. I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not he sure what he means. found mysterious hieroglyphics. I, <laughs> the guy found hieroglyphics, okay? If, if there's the no image. To which the, no. Smithsonian, yeah, yeah. The, the key to which the Smithsonian Institute hopes yet to discover. 
The engraving on the tablets probably has something to do with the religion of the people. Similar hieroglyphics have been found in uh, southern Arizona. Among the pictorial writings, only two animals are found. One is of prehistoric type. So he says uh, similar hieroglyphics have been found in southern Arizona. So he might actually have seen like the Anasazi That's what like, it sounds like. stuff before, and he's comparing this to that, which would uh, lend credence to the idea that maybe this isn't Egyptian at all, and it's definitely something right. more local. Because again, we're um, talking which, about what you said earlier, is like, it looks like it, it resembles like it. I have no context for what this really is, so I can give you a close enough adjustment so you can make your own mental image. But like... Yeah. So th that kind of gives me like that's that's why I'm not writing this off as oh this is fake um and I usually do I'm a pretty big skeptic but you really are yeah in, in in this context even though the article's kind of sleazy and how it's written in like a, an attention grabber it's, that's just news play and like at word totally. word salad is constantly used totally uh, you know they use these big words to to grab your attention and all that and just throw it all together and because, say hey this is an article but this guy is pretty. And it goes because it, I agree with you on that because it goes back and forth from really flower, like a biggest discovery, uh, immense uh, research. And then it goes to very minutiae style detail of like the rooms and the angles and the granary and the jewelry and the gold and the tools in a way that. And he adds like his own observations. It's like it's, it resembles this. It looks like this to me. Yeah. It's not like, oh, yeah, it's. It's there's silver here. Um, it's just everywhere. There's silver right here. It's silver. over there. Yeah. Uh, you know, this just, is Buddha. They were using this type of. Th this is Buddha. Um, he's not matter of fact about it. He's just like, hey man, this is kind of what it looks like to me. And I mean, I'm not like a metal enthusiast. I'm not a blacksmith. It looks like copper. It looks like gold to me. Yeah. Um, They're very know, the, different, these, but okay. <laughs> these hieroglyphics look similar to stuff I've seen before uh, in Southern Arizona. Um, and I I like that it's that it's done this way because it does have some plausibility to it. Yeah. Um, but the next thing is a little bit more whack. <laughs> uh, it's called the crypt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the tomb or crypt in which the mummies were found is one of the largest of the chambers. The wall is slanting back at an angle uh, of about thirty five degrees. On these are tiers of mummies, uh, each one occupying a separate hewn shelf at the head of each is a small bench on which is found copper cups and pieces of broken swords some of the mummies are covered with clay and are all wrapped in a bark fabric uh, the urns or cups on the lower tiers are crudes uh, while at the higher shelves are reached the urns are finer in design so the the cups and uh, urns are nicer the higher you go kind of like a cast um, system you know it's yeah. like yeah showing a later stage of civilization uh, it is worthy of note that all the mummies examined so far have proven to be male. No children or females being buried here. Uh, this leads to the belief that the exterior section was the warrior's barracks. See, that's that's a very specific detail. And so, and it's not like, oh yeah, I, just, I found mummies. It's just like, hey, hold up. They're all dudes. I'm and inferring. Here, he's, so. he's inferring information from his discovery. Yeah. 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 Which is, I mean, that, that's... You know, he's, he's got that's research. Approval. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's just it's just like this looks like this to me. Yeah, I um, among the discoveries, no bones of animals have been found, no skins, uh -huh. no clothing, no bedding. Many of the rooms are bare, but for water vessels, 
One room about 40 by 700 feet was probably the main dining hall for cooking utensils are found there. Uh, what these people lived on is a problem, though it is <laughs> presumed that they came south in the winter and farmed in the valleys going back north in the summer. Um, upwards of 50,000 people could have lived in the caverns comfortably. One theory is that the present Indian tribes found in Arizona are descendants of the serfs or slaves of the people which inhabited this cave. Undoubtedly, a good many thousands of years before the Christian era, people lived here, uh, with, which reached a high stage of civilization. Yes. The chronology, the chronology of human history is full of gaps. Professor Jordan is much enthused over the discoveries and believes that the find will prove of incalculable value in archaeological work. That's a little bit different where he talks more about uh, uh, the time frame in which he thinks these people lived. And he doesn't think that this is the uh, Anasazi people. He thinks it's people before the Anasazi people. I don't know how he would know that. I don't think yeah. he could. Uh, that sounds like speculation to me. It but, does. Yeah, highly. But, I mean, it, it just goes to show, like, he, he's trying to make sense of what he's seeing. And if it looks nothing like he's seen before, then it must be a people before that. These are way advanced. Because uh, how else would you, you know, it can't be the people after that because you, you more likely know of a hint of, of the historical record of those people. So it's like yeah. if it's something completely unknown and something that just has no links in history to the current location, it's just like, well, this has to be the earliest discovery. Yeah. One thing yeah, he continues and says, one thing I have not spoken of may be of interest. There is one chamber of the passageway to which is not ventilated. And when we approached it, a deadly snaky smell struck us. Uh-huh. Snake, snaky smell. Now, I don't know if you've smelt a snake before. They have a specific they smell. They do. They Anybody do. Anybody who owns a snake or has, uh, uh, has been near snakes before will tell you that they have a specific smell. And he says that. Many reptiles. Our yeah, light yeah. would not penetrate the gloom. Oh, God. So, oh, wow. And until stronger ones are available, we will not know what the chamber contains. So, so wait, you're telling Some me there was... snakes. <laughs> there was advanced <laughs> darkness? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just reading what it says, man. <laughs> okay. Our light would not penetrate the gloom. And until stronger ones are available, we will not know what the chamber contains. Some say snakes, but boo-hoo to this idea and think it may contain a deadly gas or chemicals used by the ancients. No sounds are heard, but it smells snaky just the same. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> the whole underground installation gives one of shaky nerves the creeps. The gloom is like a weight on one's shoulders, and our flashlights and candles only make the darkness blacker. Oh. Uh, now it's sounding a little bit more far-fetched. It is. But, uh, it's the newsy part. Imagination can revel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, imagination can revel in conjectures and ungodly daydreams back through the ages that have elapsed till the mind reels dizzily in space. So, I mean, that just fancy wordplay for saying, hey, it's dark here it's and dark. your imagination can run wild with what could possibly be here um, until it makes you dizzy. So we're not even we're not even going to continue down this path right now i mean again if this was a, a book that came out like a fictional like sci-fi you know adventure whatever book i would read it and i'd read it in a heartbeat the uh last portion of the article talks about um possible connections uh an indian legend is titled in connection with this story it is notable that among the hopi indians or hopi 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 h-o-p-i uh, indians hoppy, uh, i guess yeah 
yeah. The tradition is told that their ancestors once lived in an underworld in the Grand Canyon, till dissension arose between the good and the bad, the people of one heart and the people of two hearts. Uh, Machetto, or Macheto, uh, who was their chief, counseled them to leave the underworld, uh, but there was no way out. The chief then caused a tree to grow up and pierced the roof of the underworld, and then the people of one heart climbed out. They tarried by uh, Pisisvi, oh, which means Red, Red River, which is the Colorado River, and they grew grain and corn. They sent out a message to the Temple of the Sun asking the blessing of peace and goodwill and rain for the people of one heart. Uh, the messenger never returned, but today at the Hopi villages uh, at sundown can be seen the old men of the tribe out on the housetops gazing towards the sun, looking for the messenger. What uh, the when fuck? he returns, their lands and ancient dwelling place will be restored to them. That is the tradition. Among the engravings of animals in the cave is seen the image of a heart over the spot where it is located. The legend was learned by W.E. Rollins, the artist during a year, during a year spent with the Hopi Indians. Man, this is worded really weird. Among the engravings of animals in the cave is seen the image of a heart over the spot where it is located. The legend was learned by W.E. Rollins, the artist, during a year spent with the Hopi Indians. I, okay. I get what that means. He, yeah. he learned of the legend while he was there. While he was staying yeah. with them. Right, right. Yep. There are two theories. It's just they put a period in there and it was really a run-on sentence. But yeah, okay. Anyway, there are two theories of the origin of the Egyptians. One is that they came from Asia. Another that the racial cradle was in the upper Nile region. Uh, he ran and Egyptologists believed in the Indian origin of the Egyptians. The discoveries in the Grand Canyon may throw further light on human evolution in prehistoric ages. Um, so it's just some conjecture about yeah. like, who could it actually be. Uh, this one guy seems to think it is the Hoppy Indians, or at least uh, descendants of the walls or could could be yeah ancients so, of I mean, not descendants, but yeah. Draw your own draw your own conclusions. Um, that was the article, but it it's a lot of description, yeah, which I like. A um, little bit lacks on uh, the hows and the whys, but uh, I mean that's okay. You know, it, you don't have to. It, it, it's not interesting how you got there. It's more interesting what you find. And I guess that's probably why he didn't write down. Yeah, with great difficulty could mean, yeah, I scraped my knee. I was climbing up there. It was rough, but I got there. Nobody cares about, Nobody like, cares oh, about I grabbed the, yeah. this rock. And then I grabbed this rock. And my foot slipped, but I grabbed this rock. So how he got up there, I don't know. Uh, why he didn't take pictures is really what I want to know. That's, or he took a picture, apparently. That's what I need to know. Oh, a singular picture of a mummy, which he then... And he took stuff with him, apparently, but... Um, yeah, I definitely, it just goes back to the thing, like, th feeling of like plausible. I was just like, yeah, it could be real. You know, it's it hard to say. Be, it's, hard it, to it's, say. it's weird because in, in the first article that came out in March, he talks about how he was there alone looking for minerals and he found this. And then the second article talks about the finding, but in the second article, it's implied that he's not alone because he says we. Yeah. He says we. Uh, another JS Jordan was and there talking about the Smithsonian's uh, direct Jordan involvement. And... Uh, yeah. So like, it, I don't know. It, it's a little inconsistent, um, and that could be because whoever was writing the article didn't do it right or whatever. It's hard to say, but um, that's that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily think it's real. But because of the descriptions, what it sounds like, I can just imagine this dude who discovered this writing all this stuff down. It just seems plausible to me. Um, I mean, there's lots of 
when I was researching this topic, uh, there's lots of people who are like, yeah, it's definitely fake. But they don't have proof that it's fake. They just have a lack of evidence. And a lack of evidence does not uh, a falsity make. So This is true. Uh, you know, t- take it for what it is. This is uh, an article that was written in Arizona and only in Arizona about this potential like ancient discovery that nobody's really been able to find uh, since then. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, it could just be that it's an existing Anasazi or related, you know, Native American, uh, like place, um, yeah, and city I think, or like citadel, whatever. I think that's what it is. I I do, and I think that things are getting discovered all the time. And like you said, a lot of the Grand Canyon isn't explored and or like traversed regularly anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I want to believe. Yeah, I mean, I do too. You know, the the thing about like mystery and all that is, it's fun when there's a little bit of belief in it, right? I mean, um, there's a lot of secrets and there's a lot of like mysteries all over the world and all that. And what makes it fun is that nobody has the concrete yes or no. It, it's all the, it could be. You let your imagination kind of fill the gaps. And that's why this type of story intrigued me when I was researching. It's just because like um, Egyptians in the Grand Canyon. What? what? And then I read it and I'm like, wait, it's not really Egyptians. That's more of like uh, clickbait, but in like 1909 clickbait, um, it is Egyptian-like. It resembles Egyptian or like, I mean, hieroglyphics is, is a specific word. Carvings in the walls is one thing, but like hieroglyphics is not carvings. It's painting on the wall. Yeah. Um, and he talks about hieroglyphics. So, uh, I mean, that's a type of like storytelling or like art that, uh, is pretty specific to Egypt. I mean, there's cave paintings even well before Egyptian times. Um, but, um, they're very lax. It's like just people with spears hunting well, a to catch on, or something. To catch on that too, there was actually recently discovered in the last couple of years during the pandemic where a... Not a scientist or a researcher, but I can't remember if it was like a farmer or like a painter. I, I just can't recall. But it was someone who wasn't in the field, looked over pictures, because you got to take pictures of these fucking things when you find them, guys, um, of cave drawings, of Native American cave drawings of like hunting deer, as an example, or gazelle. And they noticed that all over many of the cave paintings, all of them had a very specific black paint dot pattern like dots and dash patterns that were used on like the deer and gazelle and other animals and they were able to discover by in asking hey what if though that's a system that they numerically use to tell season and also like when you can hunt it and that was proved to be true it was proved that those specific markings on those cave walls amongst the animals tells you what seasons that come out and they even apparently like match like how many are normally in the area or how often they like breeding habits and stuff like that which again also goes to what you said earlier it's like people underestimate ancient civilizations all the time yeah i mean you don't have to spell it out for someone be like hey on this date uh these animals meet at this place it's like that i mean that if you know how to read is great but not everybody they didn't really have written language written language was pictures exactly that's all language really is it's just pictures that mean something um, and hieroglyphics are just a form of that. But yeah, I mean, that's a way that you can communicate with even people not in your civilization. If you can see an image of a person doing a thing or of an animal doing a thing, you can kind of infer your own your own like speculation on what it means from there. It's really like it, it, it's really 
multicultural. It doesn't belong to any one place. This isn't like hieroglyphics isn't necessarily Egyptian specific. It could be all over the place. So yeah, symbols. Yeah. My my opinion on it is it, if it does exist, it's not Egyptian. It is probably just Native American of some some origin. It's more advanced than people of 1909 believed possible at the time. Um, and uh, that's that's it. Um, I agree with you. Now, the whole like David Ick thinking that uh, it's reptilians <laughs> is a little whack. I don't believe that. <laughs> the, I briefly talked about this guy named Andrews who um, read this article and researched on his own. Where um, it is, yeah. And he kind of took it off off the rails a bit and was kind of creating his own conjecture without actually ever going there and looking for it. Um, so you can't really be an authority on something without being there. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's kind of why that's kind of why I don't I didn't go through with the whole Andrews thing because there's a whole story about the guy Andrews himself and like he was a marine and all that and uh, yeah, but was interested in the story and started researching the whole Kincaid guy and all that. That's not that's not really interesting to me just because it's just a guy who like is interested and then becomes like the number one fan. And then creates like a fan club. That's kind of like and what it felt of, like to me. Full of their own conjecture and, and theory about yeah, like what I, it is. I don't. I don't want the extra stuff. I want. I want the actual the place stuff and what yeah. it's about. I want the meat, you know. Um, and I don't. Think I, reptilians and they're in the Grand Canyon. The, the they own our government and the, you know that's Illuminati and all that. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. That's a little. That's a different episode of the podcast. That's, that's not, you know, that's, that's episodes we've done, uh, and that's episodes we will yeah. continue to do. But um, thank you, Duncan, for this yeah. delicious morsel of an episode. Yeah, so I was reading really fast. So if uh, you're able to catch uh, a good chunk of that, then uh, good on you. Uh, <laughs> Just there was, uh, a, there was, there was a lot it, of verbiage to go through. Slow it down, anyone who's listening to this episode. A little yeah. late, a little late, yeah, yeah, but go back and slow down the point episode. Se- point seven five speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, but yeah, so you know, potentially uh, ancient resembling uh, uh, cave, maybe. You know, go go find it, y'all. Go, go get it. Go go find it. Go get go it. Go do it safely. Um, yeah. We'll go ahead and move on to our part of the podcast, which is correspondence and corrections. I'm not going to do a lot because the ladies aren't here. And obviously, I don't want to keep our guests listening to my voice all night. But um, first, we'll go ahead and go to a word from our sponsors. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know the truth is you would listen to me all day. I know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's 
God, the amount of some of your some of your episodes are like my. Fa- Sometimes I'll find myself like scrolling through them until I find one that you're in. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, well, usually usually you do topics I like. That's so. true. Yeah, you and I have a lot of crossover on like the things we find interesting yeah. and engaging. Well, I mean, yeah, you talk about a lot of like religious artifacts and stuff, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. hell yeah, let's go. And yeah. it's really hard, I find, to find a place that because you could look up on Wikipedia about ancient native american um like sites but i yeah. but where's the linkage of who found it and tell me about the things he found there and tell me how this links to a different civilization that's like miles in a totally different direction and just like i need to know the full depth of what i'm trying to devour from my brain yeah i mean I, I when i was researching this there was a lot of youtube videos and it's just like i don't want to listen to like a four minute video i want somebody who's going in depth on it. Yeah. And I found this article that this guy wrote that was just like, he was adding his own conjecture too. Um, but he's not here nor there. He's not like, this is real or this is fake. He's like, this is, this is what we know. Yeah. This is what it could be. This is a guy who says he knows this, this is what we know. This is, and then this is what you, seen. De- you develop your own conclusion. I will say at the very end of the article, and you don't have to put this in the podcast. You can cut this all out. But at the very end of the article, <laughs> without context, it says FBI agents now guard Kincaid's cave and other archaeological <laughs> sites in the Grand It just says at the very end with no context. <laughs> it, right before that, it says Prime Minister uh, Nubar Pasha of Egypt was the first Prime Minister of Egypt. Um, what? And then it says uh, he requested that no information about Egyptians ever being in the Grand Canyon be published by the Smithsonian. So, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just out of context. It's just there, and then a big picture of the uh, Department of Justice FBI like logo. It just appears. What the um, fuck? So I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why that's there. Who's to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, Duncan, uh, would you humor me while I read one of our emails from one of our followers? Email. So, like I said, I'm not going to get into Twitter. I'm going to let the ladies get into that next week. Don't worry. We'll grow it back to you. But we are behind in emails, so I thought I'd take a crack at at least getting one of these out just to be nice. So, <clears throat> um, we have an email here from a uh, Lucas Blackwood. Um, thank you for emailing us. Uh, your email is titled, A Few Museum Things. And this is, uh, this is a nice email. I'm looking at it. It's looking good. Um, hello, everyone. I am a longtime listener of the show and have been listening since the days before Mal TM, which was the episodes before episode 48, if anyone's curious. Um, I stopped listening for a while just due to my own sudden inability to listen to podcasts, but now I'm back and catching up. I just listened to the two part about the cursed diamonds now in the crown jewels, and I got a little beefed with the conversation you had around museum curators, and I'm here to clear a few things up. I love the way you, you put that. I love that. I just am having beef. Oh, perfect. First and foremost, I should say that I am a museums studies student. So this is a topic that is really close to me. Secondly, I am studying this in the UK, which is the number one owner of stolen objects, as you well know. All museum curators know this and most, mostly younger, agree that yes, having these objects as they are is messed up. I wanted to quickly give you all some info surrounding the discussions about the morality of the museum and why, in the end, the question about simply returning objects is way harder than just give them back. Sweet. I like this. Because, again, Dunk, we're talking about how, like, during the Patreon skit, we have a lot of people in the Crypt Cord who are just really into these kinds of topics or who work in these related fields. So this definitely helps us to get a bit of context that we just really wouldn't have had otherwise. 
You touched on in the episode, but it is true that many objects no longer have nations or peoples to return to. This is, of course, true, but is a really simplified version of what the actual problem is. The real issue with the idea of giving objects back lies in a form of social and cultural eugenics. Of course it is, it always is. This works both ways on these subjects. You shouldn't take them from the culture they belong to, because it's literally stealing, unethical, and a form of colonialism. On the other hand, saying a culture should keep their objects entirely to themselves can lead to a nationalism that is seriously unhealthy and a hoarding of knowledge of a culture to one singular place. For the most part, in our modern world, this matters because of classism. If these objects only exist in one place in the world and you want to go see those objects from that historical place in time, you need the means to travel to that place. The idea behind having these objects in one museum is allowing the poor, which are often disenfranchised minorities, to learn about and see physically with these photos that we never got, Kincaid, other parts of the world. Without the museum, there is a risk of people who are rich and wealthy being able to see all these historically important things while completely isolating those who are more poor and less able. Or at least this is what the point of the museum is supposed to be. To be clear, none of this justifies stealing. None of this justifies keeping things unethically in an attempt to dominate someone else's culture. The reason it's so hard to find a solution is less so because of the curators and more so governments of nations and owners of museums. There are many ideas on how to ethically get these objects or keep the ones we have, ranging from uh, absolutely amazing modern technology that allows for nearly perfect replicas, uh, which uh, there's a parenthesis here, uh, personally dislike, mainly because I think it would lead back to the, but I saw the original and thus better classism perspective, but that's an opinion, Uh, to having continuous traveling exhibits created and ran by the cultures and people who are actually historically related to these subjects. Uh, which is also an objected to often due to the carbon footprint it would create, but that's a different issue altogether. This email has gotten really long. Eh, it's all right. So let me quickly conclude that the biggest problem is that isn't that Miriam that museum curators are arguing about giving these objects back as hard. All of us have our own ideas and solutions, and we want to try them out. In reality, the fact that the governments of nations and private museum owners refuse to change the colonial influence holds museums back from what we want them to be, a place of sharing and learning. Also, your local museum creator here does not make enough money. Please make sure to support your local museum so that these types of conversations can keep happening. And one day, maybe the curators will finally have a word on how museums are run. Way to put a plug in my podcast. Way to go. (laughs) Props to you. Yes, support your local museums, please. Support your places of knowledge. Thank you all for your amazing, amazing podcast. I hope this didn't come off as too academic or too aggressive. You're good. I am very passionate about the ethical implications of museums and how there is no easy answer to this problem fair you know that's fair i hope you all have a great day and if you want any more information about these key, these kinds of museum confer- conversations there's an amazing but very long presentation by curators called death to museums signed lucas blackwood thank you so much lucas that was actually a really uh, educational an important uh, email because we do need to support and have these kinds of conversations. And I, Duncan, you and I talked earlier about how knowledge is something that shouldn't necessarily be hoarded. It should be something that everyone gets to have. Everyone should have the ability to, uh, we talked about reading earlier and stuff like that. It's like, I don't want to have to pay to get my knowledge. I want it just to be available for me to consume. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an opinion on like where, objects should be stored and which museums and who has the rights to it and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously if, if we know the origins of something, then it should probably be 
where the origin was. Like if this is like a an ancient jewel from India, it should probably be in an Indian museum. But at the end of the day, as long as it's a, like viewable or uh, like somebody can go to a place and discover this thing and it ignites some kind of historical passion for them, then it's succeeding in a way to me. Um, because like we were saying before, uh, if we don't, if we don't strive to remember it, it'll be forgotten. Um, yeah, yeah. and whatever form that takes, I'm game because, uh, you know, we wouldn't be so interested in ancient Egypt if we didn't have people teaching it in school. Right. Yeah. Uh, people don't even know what Egypt is in parts of the world where they don't even learn history. They barely learn how to read. You know, it's just, we, we have this luxury where we can learn about other civilizations uh through like small little relics if you will we can it's just kind of like a gateway drug into learning a whole culture um and i think that's great personally i think i think that's great and like you said earlier some people then make this the whole dedication of their lives people have their their entire when you say someone's name it's because it's linked to a very unique and specific part of history and that they are the professor of x you know uh historical fact um, yeah, there's almost always an authority somewhere on any topic. Like pick a topic with somebody who's spent almost their entire life researching the thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, thank you for the email. I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Um, also, before I forget, Duncan, thank you for being here on the podcast with me. Anytime. Yeah, I enjoy it. Um, this was uh, less researched than the other topic, but uh, I couldn't I couldn't give it up. I'm sorry. I had to continue it. <laughs> I mean, it definitely we filled a lot. Of, uh, we filled enough time with our conjecture and personal feelings, too. So, I, yeah. I no, I think that was I'll, a really good topic. I'll be on again. So, no worries. I have a whole other topic. Uh, I'll be on again. Ancient relics are a thing. Uh, yes, they so are. No. Um, stay tuned. I want to ask to go ahead and give you the floor. Um, if not, I'll just cut this. Um, do you have... Anything you want to like, um, like a website or like perhaps a handle, or do you prefer to just be as unperceivable as possible? <laughs> Though I usually like to not be perceived by anyone. Um, the only real media, I guess, that I uh, f- frequent um, my own artistic stuff on is uh, Instagram. I write poetry. Um, I don't really post selfies too much, but I post my cats. Uh, it's a uh, seductive reasoning underscore. Awesome. Um, Hell yeah. I write uh, some sometimes good poetry, sometimes terrible. I mean, um, but <laughs> that's, you want to That's the mark look of a good poet. My mind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything's going to be gold, but sometimes you you get a diamond in the rough, so. Nice, uh, nice. Feel free to go there or don't, it's up to you. Awesome. Well, um I'm going to go ahead cuz Duncan doesn't isn't actually a regular employee of this podcast. I'll just go ahead and do the entirety of the exit of the interview. Um so we happen to have a uh twitter which is at c3 podcast um fuck elon musk uh we have a facebook which is just culture covers and conspiracies on facebook uh but don't ever no one visits that it's just fuck what's the other white guy mark zuckerberg that's him (laughs) fuck him too um, we have a Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash cult cryptids. Uh, no, it's not. It's uh, <laughs> I got wound up. It's twitch.tv uh, three C's team, which is T H R E S E A S T E A M. We should stream again. We just haven't because we all have full time jobs. I'm sure you get it. Um, if you missed all of that, if I slurred it all or if you just are like, wow, these guys are the most annoying guys we've ever heard. Bring back the ladies now or we riot. You can go ahead and go to cultscryptidsconspiracies.com 
And you could even write us a strongly worded email and send it to cryptidsconspiracies at gmail.com. So, which we would love. I would, I would be glad to read your wor- meanly worded emails and be like, get off the podcast, put the ladies back in here because they do a lot of work. Yeah, man. Damage my ego. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. And they're going to find your, your poetry and just be like, this is mid. This is all, this is all like low to your trash. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it'll have, it'll ha- it happens. It is what it is. Yeah, but we're like powerful is what I was going to go. I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, thank you, Duncan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like how you default to powerful. Together we are. We are powerful. We are powerful, yes. But um, thank you, Duncan. And um, catch you next time. Bye. And uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm at it. Um, let me get my dog out of here. Jose, sure. Come take this dog. I'm. It's really hard. She's cute. Can you please? Uh, can you please come get this dog? I swear, I love my dog. I swear. <laughs> hey, she's cute though. She is. You know, that's one of her only saving graces. To be quite honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, that's fair. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.